I am certainly glad to be here with you today. I'm honored to be here with you. And I am excited about studying with you Psalm 51. This is the beginning of of a few lessons we have on different psalms. And a psalm was a song, most of them written by King David, who is the subject and the writer of this psalm that we have read this morning. Now the story of David, when this psalm begins, and this one's a little unlike some of the others, it's got a little heading on it that tells us when this psalm was written. And this psalm was written by David after Nathan the prophet confronted him about his problem with Bathsheba. Now the story of David and Bathsheba is a very famous story, and it would rival anything that Jim would see on his TV. It was a mess. I mean, you have sin and murder and regret and unwanted pregnancy and everything you can think of in a story, in this story. King David one night went out on his roof and he looked over and he saw a woman taking a bath. And he lusted after that woman. He's king. He called for her and the Bible says they went and they took her and brought her to him. They committed adultery that night and he sent her home. She sent him a message a little while later said, David, I'm expecting a child. He had a problem, a real problem because... You know, here he's this man after God's own heart. He's led Israel to serve God. He's walked before Israel and and made this big show of serving God. And he genuinely tried to serve God. He really did. But he's messed up now. And she is the wife of one of his most trusted soldiers. So the story thickens as he tries to figure a way out of it. Now... You know, this isn't a story of somebody who just gets caught in a moment of passion and commits a sin. He's conniving. I mean, he thinks about this. You know, in politics, the big thing that gets you in trouble is trying to hide the problem. Well, that's what he did. That's what all of us do. But that's what he did. And he carefully thought through this. I know what I'll do. I'll send for Uriah. He'll come home, go be with his wife, and then everybody will just think it's his kid. So he does. He sends for Uriah. Uriah comes back, gives him a report of the war. He sends him home. Uriah won't go home. Uriah says, how can I go be with my wife when all my fellow comrades are out fighting for the honor of the king and our God? Well, that didn't work. He tries getting him drunk. says, come to a feast. And he gets him drunk and sends him. That still doesn't work. Even drunk Uriah had the loyalty to David and God that he wouldn't do that. So finally he says, well, I don't know what else I've got to do. His next plan is this, I'll send Uriah back to battle. He'll get killed in battle. And he arranged that Uriah would get killed in battle. And then I'll marry his wife and, and then the baby will be born and everybody will be, oh, the baby's early and it, it, you know we've covered up the sin still. Right? I mean, it's a terrible story. David did this. He hid this sin for almost nine months. And then Nathan comes to talk to David. 
And Nathan, when he comes to talk to David, tells David a story. He says, David, we got a situation here in the kingdom. And the situation is this. This fella had lots of sheep. And his neighbor, just poor man, just had one sheep. And he loved that little lamb and he let it eat out of his dish. And it was his, his special pet. And this rich man who had all these sheep had a, a guest come and he was going to feed his guest one of his sheep, and he decided instead of using one of his, he'd go get this man's little lamb and kill that lamb and feed it to his guest. And he did that. David was outraged. He said, the man shall die. Wow. And then Nathan told him, you're the man. And I believe David's heart was smitten with guilt this guilt that he'd been hiding. And this psalm is what David wrote as a response to that. You know, this kind of thing in politicians is a problem, isn't it? We've seen it in America. On both sides of the fence, Democrat and Republican, it doesn't matter. Infidelity, unfaithfulness, as far as we know, or as far as I know, none of them have gone to the level of committing murder to cover up their infidelity. Would you vote for a guy like that? I mean, somebody who would go have an affair with one of his age friends, or his age wife, rather, and then kill the guy to cover it up. Would you vote for a guy like that? I wouldn't. He doesn't have good moral character, we'd say. He's got a problem. David said this, in Psalm 51, he said, You will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Now, he's talking to God when he says it. Do you remember in the Old Testament what they had to do when they committed a sin? Well, they had to get a ram or a goat or, or one of the animals that God specified, and they'd bring, bring it to the priest, and if it was a perfect sacrifice, the priest would kill it, and that's, that's what you did to take care of sin, Right? Well, why wouldn't God want a sacrifice from David for what he'd done? Do you know why God didn't want a sacrifice? Because for the things David did, there was no sacrifice. Look at what the law said. It said, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. Now, we have to assume, and I don't know how complicit Bathsheba was in this. I don't know if she, you know, the Bible says he sent messengers and they took her and brought her to him. I don't know if it was a forced deal or if she, hey, he's the king, you know. This is my chance because she was conniving. You read later in the story after David marries her and she's very conniving. I don't know. But I do know this, regardless, the Bible says he was to be put to death. It doesn't say go get a ram and offer it. And look at this. Whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death. Now that's talking about intentional murder. David was complicit in the death. Not complicit, he planned. He was the architect of the murder of Uriah. You know what he planned? He said put him in the hottest part of the battle, on the very front where the battle is raging, and then in a predetermined sign, you have everybody fall back except him and let the enemy kill him. Well, you know, that's just getting somebody else to do your dirty work. That's murder. 
David knew there's not a sacrifice he can offer that's going to please God. God's not going to be satisfied with any sacrifice that can be produced that way. Did you know God's law has always been that way? God still demands death for these sins. At Galatians chapter 5, Now the works of the flesh are evident which are, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. You see adultery and murder both there. He says in the end of that verse, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's for you and I today. He says if you're an adulterer or a murderer, don't plan on going to heaven. You might say, well, that's fair. I mean, right? We don't don't want adultery and murder to be a part of God's kingdom and what God's people do. Can you imagine how you'd feel if somebody took your mom or your wife and committed adultery with her and then murdered another member of your family to cover it up? Can you imagine how how outraged you would be by that? That's outrageous, isn't it? I mean, what David did is outrageous. Look at this. He said, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers and the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. God's punishment for these sins is death. And it was in the days of of David, and he knew that's why he couldn't offer a sacrifice. For the wages of sin is death. So, Nathan tells David, you are the man. You despise the commandment of the Lord to do evil in His sight. And David was stricken. His conscience was smitten. He knew inside, and he talks about that in this psalm. He says, when I kept silent, it was like a roaring in my bones. Have you ever felt that guilt? That you know you did something. You know, and it just eats you up. And you just push it down, you push it away, you push it to the back, and and you struggle. David was smitten with guilt and he said, I have sinned against the Lord. He's caught. Now, I will tell you this. Sometimes the best thing that can happen to you is to get caught. Sometimes that's the best thing in the world that can happen to you is to get caught. Because it forces your hand. And David's hand was forced in this situation. But this next sentence is one of the most bizarre and outrageous things that you're going to read in the Bible. I mean, think about what this guy's done now. And he's been caught. He's abused his power. He's abused his position. He's taken advantage of a woman. He's murdered her husband. And David tell, or Nathan tells him the child that's expected is going to die as a result of all this. And now listen to what Nathan tells him. He says, The Lord also has put away your sin, and you shall not die. Do what? Just like that? I mean, does that seem fair to you? Does that seem right to you? Does that seem okay? That David does all this terrible stuff and God says, I put it away. I pass over it. Does that bother you? Bothers me. It bothers me to think somebody can do this terrible stuff 
And they can be guilty of all of these things he was guilty of. And then, ah, never mind. That just doesn't seem right and it doesn't seem fair. It seems outrageous, actually, that that could be allowed to go on and that would be the response of a just and righteous and holy God to a terrible sin like this. Would you be happy if that was your family? I mean, what if you're Uriah's dad? Is that okay with you now? What if you're Bathsheba's mom? Just forgive him. Just let him go. Don't worry about it. Doesn't seem right. Bathsheba's been compromised. Uriah's been murdered and a baby is going to die. And God just says, we pass over it. We put it away. All these things. Can you just pass over that stuff? Married people. Your spouse goes out and commits adultery. Would you just say, I've decided just to pass over it. I've just decided I'm going to pass over it. Well, let's look at this just a little bit more. Because, you know, when we look at that and that looks terrible, and I think about how awful that is and how I wouldn't want that, And I sit and I look around and I go, you know, probably we don't have many people sitting here today who are actually adulterers or murderers. We would hope that you're not guilty of those things. I don't want to be guilty of those things. And so it's pretty easy for me to think how serious and how wicked that sin is and how that sin should be punished and it shouldn't be just passed over for sure. But then I look in the New Testament and I see what Jesus says about these sins. And Jesus says this, Whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. says in 1 John 3, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Now, that's a little different. Now, granted, murder is actually worse than hatred because somebody's dead, and if you just hate somebody, they're not dead. Actually, committing adultery is more egregious than lusting in your heart. But Jesus said, if you lust, as far as He's concerned, you've got the same condition. And remember, God looks at your heart. As far as He's concerned, you've got the same condition that the murderer does or that the adulterer does. If your heart is crooked. Because you see behind adultery, you pull it back, and you've got lust. That's what produces adultery. Behind murder, you pull it back and look behind it, and it's hatred in the heart of the one who murdered. That's what always produces it. That's why it's a little dangerous for me to be too terribly outraged that He was forgiven... Because I have got the same problems. Maybe just in a different degree. Don't you? Haven't you been guilty at some time of lustful thoughts? Haven't you been guilty at times of hateful thoughts? Bitterness? But we've still got a problem. It's not fair. It's just not fair to let somebody get away with crime. Cindy's a prosecutor. She doesn't believe it's fair to let people get away with crime. That's why she's a prosecutor. 
and she tries to convict people of crime. And when people are guilty of crime and come before her, they don't just go, well, you know, I do a lot of other good stuff. And she goes, oh, that's okay. We'll just pass over it. Because they're guilty and they need punished for crime. That's why one of the most amazing passages in Scripture, and I think gives us so much insight into this psalm, is found in Romans chapter 3, verses 24 through 26. You see, many Americans today, most of us kind of believe that we have a right to be forgiven, don't we? I mean, it's our right to be forgiven. Yeah, I messed up, but everybody messes up, right? I made a few mistakes along the way, but everybody does. And we just feel like it's our right for somebody to forgive us. That's not the way Paul felt. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. Paul felt guilt. And Paul didn't believe it was his right for somebody to overlook his sin, or to look the other way, or to forgive his sin, or to just mediate his sin because of his good works on the other side. He didn't believe that. He said this, Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Same words there. He passed over the sins that had previously been committed. You know what Paul says? He says this is to demonstrate His righteousness. God demonstrated that He is righteous when He sent His Son Jesus so He could pass over sin. You see, the reason we believe that somebody shouldn't be forgiven is because you and I don't understand how outrageous the death of Jesus was. That was a big deal. It wasn't just, okay, He was a sacrifice. It's not just some theological argument in a book. It was the innocent Son of God. And Paul's whole argument here is this. That was so egregious and so outrageous that God sent His Son to die that because of that, that proves God's righteousness and He can pass over adultery and murder and homosexuality and child molesting and deceit and every other thing you can think of because of how big a deal the death of Jesus was. It was a big deal. He goes ahead and says this, to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, once again, that's what He's demonstrating, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, if this is true that the death of Jesus was such a big deal that it was worth the forgiveness of David's sin, then God can be just and justify people like David. If Jesus really was innocent and He really was the sacrifice, you see, that's the heart of Christianity. That's the heart of the gospel. And when we talk about this, we're not just talking about David being forgiven of his sins because your forgiveness hangs in the balance here too. If the death of Jesus wasn't sufficient, if it wasn't a big deal, you're not forgiven either. Because no just judge just passes over sin. 
only when sin is paid for. And the message that David got and understood was David had faith. He had faith in God. Now you and I understand this because we live on this side of the cross and the Apostle Paul happened to write the book of Romans and other stuff to explain to us. David didn't see all of this. But David knew some of it, didn't he? And what I want to spend the last few minutes of our lesson doing is I want to point out to you the response of this penitent heart because the truth is this. Some people do these terrible things and won't ever be forgiven. Other people do these terrible things and will be forgiven. What's the difference? Why does God forgive some people and not others? Is it just arbitrary? Did God decide before the foundation of the world, well, I'm going to forgive them and I'm not going to forgive them? No, that's not what happened. But you see, some people have a penitent heart in response to their sin. Other people don't. I'm, I keep doing it like this. Not that you guys do and you guys don't. <laughs> I want to talk to you briefly now about how to respond to crushing sin. I mean, when you have messed up, and you know you've messed up, and it's real mess up, it's not like, well, I exaggerated a little bit the other day, or I walked by and there was some litter on the ground and I didn't pick it up and I should have. I'm talking about when you've really committed sin and you're guilty in front of God. What do you do? How do you respond to that? I believe the answer is here in Psalm 51. Number one, you turn to God. This afternoon, Kobe's going to talk to us about a song that's in these books and the message of the song, it's called, Turn My Heart. I love the message of that song. Turn my heart, O God, like rivers of water. David said this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. David, three times here, falls and calls for the mercy of God. He doesn't come to God with excuses. He doesn't come to God with reasons. He doesn't say, oh Lord, did yeah, but I know I did, but you know what? You made me king, so I had the palace and the big tall roof. And did you see that woman? I mean, goodness gracious. That's not what he said. He threw himself completely and totally on the mercy of God. Have mercy on me, O God, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. This was said in Exodus. That's the wrong reference up there. This is Exodus 34. David knew that was in the Bible. David knew the kind of God. And David knew God wasn't satisfied with sacrifices. But he also knew this about God. That He's merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounds in steadfast love. David knew he could call on the mercy of God. And I want to tell you, when you've messed up, when you've sinned, turn to God. Turn to Him. Don't turn away from Him. Don't run and hide. Don't try to make things better yourself. Don't try to fix it. Don't make excuses. Don't say, well, I know I was wrong, but... No. 
turn to God for mercy. Repent and turn to God and do works befitting repentance. That's what the Apostle Paul told people. You know why? Because that's always been God's message. He's always saved people the same way. A repentant heart turns to God for mercy and does whatever God asks him to do. For Noah, it's build a boat. For Abraham, it's sacrifice your son. For you and I, it's be baptized and confess Jesus. Turn to God and do whatever He asks you to do. Secondly, acknowledge your wickedness. He came completely without argument. He said, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. The tape was running. You got that tape that runs, keeps that sin ever before you? You know what you did and it's just there and it's there all the time. It's all the time there and it may be 20 years ago that it got started, but it's still running. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe it was just yesterday. Maybe it was a year ago. That tape just runs and runs of your sin. It's just there all the time. That's the way David was before he confessed it, before he turned to God, and before he acknowledged his wickedness to God. That just, that, it just was ever before him. Any little thing led him down that same road and his mind was back on it again. Because it was hidden sin. That's what hidden sin does to us. Well, that's what hidden sin does to a person with a heart after God, like David had. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, this is a strange part of this, this passage to me. One of the things that struck me is when I read in the Bible, and I read something that I go, oh, duh, that's obvious, you know, then I just go right along. That's great because my heart is in tune with what God's saying. When I run into something in the Bible and I go, now wait a minute, that means there's something wrong in the way I'm thinking, the way I'm understanding, and I need to spend a little time there and get my heart in tune with God. So next time I read that, I go, duh, that's obvious. You see, this is a little strange. Did David only sin against God here? What about Uriah? <laughs> Wouldn't you say he sinned against Uriah? I would. David is not saying in this passage, no one was hurt from my sin except God. You know what David is recognizing here? David is recognizing that sin is only sin because it's against God. Now, I may do something against you and you may do something against me. And that's bad. But it's not sin unless it's against God, you see. That's what makes it sin is that it's against God. That's the, the fundamental heart of this whole deal, is that it's wickedness and it's sin, because God said it was wickedness and sin. Not because other people didn't like it, or not because it hurt somebody else's feelings, but because God said that it's wicked. It's what makes it sin. And David is acknowledging that here. David is not saying nobody else was hurt by what I did. He's saying that it was sin because it was against you, Father. And I want to tell you that no matter what you've done, you need to recognize that your sin was not just against your wife. It wasn't just against your husband. It wasn't just against your co-worker. It was sin because it was against God. This is greatly enhancing 
and recognizing the seriousness of his sin. He's not ducking. He's not making excuses. He's not looking the other way. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. That's the second half of this verse. He says, "You only, against you only have I sinned and done evil, that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David is telling God, you know what? If you send me to hell right now, I deserve it. You're just. You're righteous. I deserve to go to hell for what I've done. I deserve to be punished for what I've done. And you know what? I, I believe you've not come to terms with your sin until you acknowledge to God that He's just in condemning you for your sin. He is just in condemning us for what we've done that's wrong, individually. We deserve His punishment. We all stand before God that way. And David was willing to recognize it. David came to justify God, not to justify himself when he wrote this song. By the way, you know who wrote this was David. You know who wrote the story of what he did with Bathsheba was David. When you come before God acknowledging your sin, your, your goal is not to hide it anymore. Your goal is to justify God in His justice and in His righteousness. David told God, he said, I know that you desire truth in the inward parts. It's not just enough. And one of the things I told Carrie that I noticed about this psalm, Psalm 51, about when David committed adultery and murder and all this stuff, you read the whole psalm, never one time is adultery mentioned. Never one time is murder mentioned. Never one time is lying mentioned. You would think if he's writing a psalm of repentance about adultery, lying, and murder, he'd mention those, right? He doesn't. You know why? Because God desires truth in the inward part. The problem, all of those things, sexual sin is a symptom of a heart that's not seeking God. It's a symptom of a heart with no joy of salvation that's serving the Lord. Murder is a symptom of a heart that doesn't know the love of God, but has the seeds of bitterness and anger and hatred in it. And that's what David talks about here, is the seed. He talks about the, the very core of what the problem is. And that's why you and I, brothers and sisters, need to work on our hearts. We need to bring our hearts before God. That's what David does. He asks God to forgive him. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He says stuff like this over and over through this 51st Psalm. He asks and begs and pleads with God for forgiveness. When you've done wrong, turn to God. Don't turn away from Him. When you've done wrong, acknowledge your sin and humble yourself to beg God to forgive you. See, God doesn't just sweep it under the rug, but because of the death of Jesus, He will forgive you. He will forgive you. And so you don't get away with it. You're forgiven. And that's totally different than getting away with it. 
Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. There are many many analogies or illustrations the Bible uses about being cleansed from sin. But this one it uses a lot. Hyssop was a branch that they would dip in blood and they would sprinkle on the mercy seat. They would dip this branch in blood and if there had been some disease in the house, they would go in and dip that and they would sprinkle it throughout the house and God would cleanse that house so you could go and live in the house and not get the disease or whatever it was that was in the house. And David is saying, I'm corrupt and I'm wicked. Sprinkle the blood on me. Purge me. Cleanse me. I think we don't understand what sin does to us sometimes and how corrupted that it genuinely makes our heart. Hide your face from my iniquities or my sins and blot out all my iniquities. This message is carried all throughout the Bible. Jesus taught us to pray every day. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I know people who claim to be Christians who say you shouldn't pray for sin. You shouldn't pray for forgiveness. God did it. Jesus did it. Cross. It's already done. You know what? The cross is not the reason that I don't ask for forgiveness anymore. The cross is the basis upon which I do ask for forgiveness. That's the difference in the hearts, you see. It's the basis upon which I can go to God and ask Him to forgive me because I see what a big deal the sacrifice of His Son was. And finally, lastly, seek transformation. David said this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart. Change me, God. You see, somebody who's really penitent, somebody who's really a Christian, somebody whose heart is really seeking rightness with God, sets their heart on change. They set their mind on change. They set their goal in their life on change. They don't want to be like they used to be. And that shows up in very real ways. They set their goal for God to change their heart. So much in the Bible about that. And when our heart changes, our life changes. That's why there's, there's great value in holding one another accountable and confessing our sins to one another, but not if we don't pray for each other. Because it's the change in the heart that produces the real, genuine, long-term change. And David prayed for this. He begged God. He said, renew a steadfast spirit within me. He said, I don't want that unstableness that caused me to fall into that sin I was in before. You see, he was unsteady. He was a man after God's own heart. He had led Israel in great national revival in serving God. He brought the Ark of the Covenant. He has gotten older now in his life. He's fought the enemies of God and stood up for God against Goliath and all these other people. And he wavers. And he says, God, I don't want to waver. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be steadfast like a rock. Please, God, renew that spirit within me. Do not cast me away from Your presence and do not take Your Holy Spirit from me. Because if you're not penitent, God will cast you from His presence. He will take His Holy Spirit. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous Spirit. Give me the joy. Because you see, when you're crushed by the guilt of sin, you don't have the joy of salvation. You don't have that joy of forgiveness. But when you're really genuinely forgiven and you know you're forgiven, and you know God's creating a clean heart in you, and you're not trying to excuse or get away with anything anymore, when that's who you are and what you are, there's a joy. There's a joy in salvation. There's a very real joy in salvation. David says, renew that for me. He'd had that before. He danced before the Lord and before the nation as they brought the Ark of the Covenant in joy of salvation. And he lost that. And he says, please renew that. He sought transformation in his life. So these are the four actions of a penitent heart that we find in Psalm 51. There may be others. Turn to God, acknowledge your wickedness, and ask forgiveness. And then seek transformation. I want to encourage you personally. I don't know what's going on secretly in your life. But it's time. Turn to God. Ask His forgiveness. Acknowledge your sin. And seek to be transformed. And the last thing I want to show you is this verse right here. David said this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, You will not despise. That's why God forgives some and He doesn't forgive others. Some have a broken and contrite spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Some are defiant. Some are deceitful. Look in your heart. Is it broken and contrite? God loves a broken heart. God loves a contrite, humble spirit. God will not despise that. And no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, when you come to God with an humble, broken, and contrite heart, He forgives. He passes over. He doesn't sweep under the rug your sin, but He passes over it because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Do you need to be right with God in some way today? God loves you. And He will not despise a broken and contrite heart. If there's any way the church can assist you, we do offer a song of invitation while we stand and sing.